Turn your Bibles again, please, to the book of Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. To me, this is one of the most tragic stories in all the Bible. Quite unbelievable when you consider what was done. And Esau sold his birthright to his brother Jacob for a mere bowl of soup. Esau was a hunter. Jacob dwelled in tents. Evidently, Esau was out hunting and was exhausted and tired, came to the house and was, desired something to eat and asked his brother to give him a bowl of pottage. And he said, I will, but he said, trade. He sell your birthright unto me. The word sell means to trade, to barter, exchange. And what did Esau do? He exchanged his birthright for a mere bowl of pottage. What did that consist of? Now, what did he give up? What did he trade for a bowl of soup? The birthright consisted of several things. Number one, a double portion of the father's inheritance. All that belonged to Isaac, Esau got a double portion of it. He became the ruler over his brothers and the entire family of Isaac. The title to the blessings of the promise made to Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, which included the future possession of Canaan, a covenant fellowship with Jehovah, and the lineage of the Messiah himself. All that was included in the birthright. Because Isaac was the firstborn, excuse me, because Esau was the firstborn of Isaac, that birthright belonged to him. And he traded it for a mere bowl of pottage. Hebrews 12, 16 says this, lest any be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for a morsel of meat sold his birthright. The word profane means disrespectful, sacrilegious. Esau traded a future lasting possession for an immediate monetary gratification. This only thing he valued was essential enjoyment of the present. In this, he showed himself to be a profane person who cared for nothing but a monetary gratification of his physical desires. You know what I say about that? How foolish. How, how unwise. Today we'd probably say how stupid. <laughs> how senseless. To take all that belonged to him by virtue of birthright and just trade it for a mere bowl of soup. How sad. But you know, the sad thing is many Christians do the same thing today, but a much greater degree. We trade what is available to us by virtue of our birthright for a mere bowl of pottage. You say, Pastor, how do we do that? Now, please listen. Romans 8, 16 says this. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Because of your relationship you have with God in heaven through Jesus Christ, all that belongs to God is now yours. You inherited all of the possessions of heaven. And he offers you treasures in heaven if you serve him. But so many of us focus on the temporary this world offers us to the sacrifice of the eternal. We are no different than Esau. We sacrifice the lasting for the temporary. Now listen, the title of my message this morning is called Steadfastly Living for Eternity. I'm talking about living a life that counts for eternity. Living your life to gain eternal rewards in heaven instead 
of the temporal material possessions on this earth living, living for eternal values. There are certain messages, topics I preach on about every three to five years, and this is one of them. I preached on this probably five years ago on this issue because we are constantly bombarded with the things of this world, by the treasures of this world. So this morning I'm talking about how do we live for eternity. Now, think about this. Chances are that your life on earth is how long? 60, 70, 80, maybe 90 years. How long will your life be in heaven? For eternity, forever. Yet so many of us focus on the life on earth of 60, 70, 80, 90 years to neglect of eternity. We focus on what this world offers us to neglect of what God offers us. In that sense, we're no different than Esau. We sell or trade what is rightfully ours by birthright because of Jesus Christ. Now, let me share how do I live for eternity, Pastor? Let me give you four ways. Hope you write them down. In your bulletin, you'll find insert. Hope you take that out. The blanks, the answers will be on the screens. We're going to look at several verses today. We'll see on the screen some of them we're going to turn to together. So I hope you have a Bible with you, your notes within a pen. Please write these down. How, as a Christian, do I live for eternity? Number one, by laying up treasures in heaven. By laying up treasures in heaven. Go to Matthew chapter 6, please. Let go of Genesis. Matthew chapter 6, page 1349, please. Matthew 6. Here's a verse that God really used in my heart back in the, when I was in my 20s working for the telephone company. At that time, I had a good job making good money. But I realized I was spent all my time and energy and money on material things this world offered me. And then I was challenged with this verse and calls me. Through this verse, the Lord called me into full-time ministry. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, look what it says, please. Matthew 6, 19. Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the what? The earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But, verse 20, but, contrast here, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. The word lay up here means to gather, heap up, to accumulate. Instead of accumulating treasures on this earth, God says lay treasures in heaven. Why? He gives it three reasons why. Because of bugs. Anything you have on earth, moth, bugs can eat it. Rust can corrupt it. Thieves can break through and steal it. But not in heaven. What you store in heaven, there's no bugs there to eat it. There's no rust of it to corrupt it. There's no thieves to take it. What you lay in heaven, you have for eternity. What you have on earth is only temporary. Turn with me now, if you'll please, to Luke. Let go of Matthew. Go to Luke chapter 12. To me, this is an amazing story. One of my favorite stories in the Bible. Luke chapter 12, please. Here's a man I'm going to share with you. I believe this man was a saved man because of the advice that the Lord gave him. Luke chapter 12, page 1457, 56, excuse me, 1456. Here's a man that achieved what we would call today the American dream. Why we have so many immigrants coming to America because they want to achieve what this man achieved. And it's possible in our country where it would not be in other countries. And look what he achieved as American dream. We're going to find out what God called him. Verse 15, please. Luke 12, 15. 
For he said unto them, Take heed be, and beware of covetousness. That means always wanting more. For man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Verse 16. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thy ease, eat, drink, and be what? My friend, this man achieved the American dream. He was very prosperous in his business. He was a, evidently a farmer. And he, got, he had a lot already, and barns filled with plenty. And his ground brought forth more. And he said, I have my barns not big enough to store all this. What did he do? He tore down his barns, built bigger ones, and thought, I'm going to store up all this. To the point, I have all I need. I can eat and drink. I'm going to retire early and relax and do nothing because I have all I need. That's the American dream, isn't it? People today are trying to retire early so they can enjoy life. That's exactly what he did. Now, please listen. I believe this man was saved. I'm going to tell you why in just a moment. First of all, a saved, an unsaved person, listen carefully, please. For the unbeliever, if you're here today and you're not saved, your life on earth is the best you're ever going to know it. Your life on earth is the best you're ever going to have it. Because you die without Christ, you're going to a place called hell. But if you're saved... You're a child of God. Life on the earth is the worst you're ever going to know it. The worst you're ever going to have it. When you die, you're going to go to heaven. So here's a man on earth having the best this world can offer him. And he says, sit back, eat, drink, be merry, and relax. Now, a human standpoint, that man was prosperous. He was a wise man. But what did God think of him? I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 20. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? Verse 21. He that layeth treasure up for himself is not rich toward what? Look up here, please. What he's saying now, if this man was unsaved, he was not a fool. He was very wise. Because this is best they're going to have. Make the best of life and get the most out of it. But for the Christian, though God, and he was prospered greatly, to take all your prosperity and spend it on yourself, and as God says, you're a fool. Because my friend, he had all together and he died and left it for someone else to have. The Bible said we brought nothing in this world and it's certain we can what? Carry nothing out. So many Christians focus on this, what this world offers us and spend all the time, the money and energy. We have little or no time for Christ. God calls that man a fool because you're trying to focus on this life which is very temporarily 60, 70, 80 years and you're neglecting eternity. That's what this man did. And he said, he that lays treasure for himself is not rich toward God. By the way, are you rich toward God? You might be rich in man's eyes, but if you're not laying treasure in heaven, you're not rich toward God. Now, please don't miss this. Do not misunderstand. You don't work to go to heaven. Heaven's a free gift. How many can say amen? amen? The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. I'm going to heaven because it was given to me freely at the expense of Christ. 
He died to pay for my sin. He did the work required of me. He paid the price for my sin. And I trusted him as my Savior and heaven's my home. That's settled. But God goes a little further and said, Dave, heaven's your home. Now that you're living on earth, you can now begin to store rewards in heaven. And they'll be there for eternity. But the world says no. In fact, the devil does to you what Jacob did to Esau. He, and basically, all the world you see, I'll give it to you. Remember when the devil took Jesus on the mountain during the temptation and showed him the kingdoms of the world, and he said, all this I will what? Give you. That's what the devil says to you. All this the world offers you, I'll give it to you. He doesn't work for it. Neglect Christ. I know a man, in fact, he's in our church today. I will not mention his name. Many years ago, he and his wife were struggling financially. They were praying uh, for an advancement job. He had a good job, but it didn't pay hardly enough. His boss came to him because he was a good worker and said, listen, I want to offer you a better position. And it, it would double his salary. He said, but you'll be away from your family many weekends, and you have to work every Sunday and every Wednesday. In other words, he thought to himself, I'll get double salary, I'll get an advancement job, but I have to neglect my family, and I can't go to church anymore. You know what he did? He rejected the job. I said, I want to live for Christ. He gave up so much. He gave up the temporary to have the internal. Yet so many of us would say, way, God bless me, I'm going to work. And we don't go to church anymore. We don't spend time with our family because we're focused on the temporary and not the eternal. What would you have done, men? This man rejected the job, the position. He kept working there so he could be in church on Sundays, so he could be in church on Wednesdays. And he neglected, rejected the temporal to have the eternal. So how do we live for eternity? According to this, by laying up treasures in heaven. Planning for retirement, please listen. Preparing for life before death is, is wise, but neglecting life after death is foolish. If you accumulate wealth only to enrich yourself and no concern for Christ and the things of his kingdom, then you will enter eternity empty-handed. What are you focusing on? Number two, the second reason why we should live for eternity, not only by laying up treasures in heaven, but also by looking, by looking at two things. Hope you write it down. First of all, looking at things that are eternal. By looking at things which are eternal. Go with me now to 2 Corinthians, please. Chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're talking about how to live for eternity. How to live when my life counts for all eternity and not just here on this earth. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, page 1627, for those using the church Bible. How do I live for eternity? By laying treasures up in heaven, not on this earth. When you find that, look here, please. I'm not saying it's wrong for you to, lay, for, to plan for retirement. That's wise. In fact, God tells us in Proverbs to go to the ant and learn from that. Tells the slugger to go to the ant and learn from that. Because the ant stores up food for the wintertime. And nothing wrong with you planning for retirement to have a good retirement. But if you plan all that and neglect of serving the Lord, God calls you a fool. So it's wise to plan for retirement. But at the same time, don't neglect eternal things. It's wise to plan for the temporal so you can take care of your family when you retire. But at the same time, don't neglect eternal things. Make time to serve the Lord. Many years ago on Channel 10, this is back in the 70s, 
There was a man who come on every uh, uh, the six o'clock news who talked about fishing in the bay. He talked about he talked about fish. He got show pictures of himself on a boat and a big fish he caught, and he encouraged people to go fishing. And he always concluded his show with this: If you're too busy to go fishing, you're just too busy. <laughs> I would need to take time to go fishing. Christian, if you're too busy to serve the Lord, you're just too busy. You need to set time aside to serve the Lord, to focus on eternal things. And you do that by looking, to, first of all, by looking at things which are eternal. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Paul said, For a light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. What he's saying here, if you serve the Lord and you suffer persecution or afflicted because of your service for the Lord... It's going to work for you a great, wonderful reward in heaven. But look in verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are what? Temporal. And the things which are not seen are eternal. So Christian, if you're living for something you can see, you're living for something that's temporal. It's something that moth can eat, rust will corrupt, and thieves can break through to steal. So what he's saying here, in life, the word looking here, talking about fix your eyes upon. Focus on that. Don't focus on that big car that you've got to work over five, ten years to get. Or that big old house you want and work all most of your life to obtain. Nothing wrong with them. But if you do all your time to get those things neglect of the Lord, then God calls you a fool. Focus on the eternal, not the temporal. He said, the ter- verse 18, if you look at the things which are temporal, he goes on to say the latter part, but the things which are not seen, the things not seen, are eternal. How many, of, how many have you ever seen your rewards in heaven? I haven't seen them, but I believe I'm going to get them. I believe what God offers me in heaven is far better than this world can offer me. And so I've decided to choose to serve the Lord. When we live our lives for the temporal material things of this life, we are like Esau, we're selling our birthright. We swap the permanent with the temporary. We sacrifice that which lasts forever for that which is but for a moment. By lo- how do we live for eternity? By looking for things which are eternal, but also, let it be, by looking for Christ's soon return. By looking for Christ's soon return. Go with me now to 2 Peter, please. 2 Peter. 2 Peter, chapter 3, page 1712. How many believe the Lord's coming back? I encourage you when you pray, pray for Israel. Many of you know war is broken out there now. And I believe this is all just signs of the times. We know there's a man, a world ruler, that will come on the scene according to the Bible. And one of the first things he would do, he would bring peace to Israel. Now, to bring peace to Israel, there has to be unrest there. So now we see there's war going on. I'm not saying that's what it's talking about. But if this war lasts for a long time, one of the things Israel's going to look for is a, someone to bring peace. And they're looking for the Messiah to come, the Christ. But the Bible calls him what? The Antichrist. And he'll make a seven-year peace treaty with Israel. When someone comes on the scene, a world ruler, and wants to make a seven-year peace treaty with Israel, walk on your tippy toes. Because the rapture is going to happen any moment. 
because that seven-year period called the tribulation period, in the midst of the seven-year period, he will turn against Israel and begin to slaughter them. But he'll bring peace to Israel. That's a covenant he'll make with Israel. And there has to be war going on. So I believe it's just a sign of the times. And so please pray for the peace of Jerusalem, the Bible says. But notice here in 2 Peter chapter 3, looking for Christ's soon return. Look in verse 10, please. 2 Peter 3 in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth and all the works that are therein shall be burned up. Look over here, please. The day of the Lord talks about when the Lord returns and he comes back. And when he comes back, listen carefully, please. He destroyed this earth once by water and then Noah's flood. When he comes back again, he's going to destroy the earth by fire. And so the heaven shall melt with fervent heat and the earth and all the works thereof. Think about that. Now, when you go outside and look at your nice house, your nice car, all your possessions, my friend, one day it's going to burn all up. That's when you're temporary. He's going to burn it all up. It says here, melt with fervent heat. Verse 11, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Verse 12, looking for and hastening unto the what? Coming of the day of God, wherein the heaven shall be, uh, being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens, and new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, having without spot and blameless. What he's saying here, verse 12, looking for and hastening. The word looking for means look with expectation. I ask you, how many believe the Lord's coming back soon? Well, look, expect that any moment. By the way, I wish he'd come back before I finish my sermon. Wouldn't it be great to be called up to be with the Lord in the air. The word looking means looking with expectation. And hastening, that means eagerly desiring. I don't know about you, I eagerly desire the Lord return. I wish he'd come back any moment. But he uh, may choose to tarry longer. But verse 13, nevertheless, according to his promise, we look for a new heavens, new earth. Our focus should not be on the things of this earth that are temporary, but the new heavens and earth that God's going to provide for us one day. All that's on this earth will be burned up one day. And he's going to make a new heavens and earth just for us. Notice twice scripture says that looking will have an impact upon how we live. We're talking about looking for Christ's soon return. Verse 11, seeing then that we have all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be? Verse 14, wherefore, beloved, seeing that we look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without blameless. What he's saying here, if I look for the Lord's return, it will affect how I live. Show me a Christian who's living for temporary things, and I'll show you a person who has no focus on the Lord's return. Because when he comes back, he's going to take us to heaven. All that you get on this earth, you leave behind. So one way we can live for eternity, count for eternity, is by looking at eternal things, but also looking for Christ in return. Number three. Number three. How do we live for eternity? by laying up treasures in heaven, by looking at things that are eternal. Number three, by living by faith. By living by faith. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 11, please. Hebrews 11, page 1694. 
Hebrews 11. We're talking about a man who lived by faith, who forsook the riches of this world to serve the Lord, though it would cost him affliction and uncomfortableness, to say the least, because he valued what God offered him more valuable than what the world offered him. His name was Moses. You heard of him before? First of all, by faith, Moses refused a position. By faith, Moses refused a position. Look at verse 24, Hebrews eleven twenty-four. 24. By faith, when he, Moses, was come to years, refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. Implication here, Pharaoh had no son. The next person in line to be the next Pharaoh was the, his daughter's son. And this time, it was adopted, it was Moses. So Moses was expected to be the next Pharaoh. Egypt was the most powerful nation in the world at that time. Egypt, Pharaoh was in charge of that. Moses refused a position that would bring fame, fortune, power, and pleasure. Wow. He refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter, talking about Pharaoh, because he, he refused the fame would come with that, the fortune would come with that, the power and pleasure. So by faith, he refused the position. Why did he do that? Read on. It said, by faith, Moses chose the people. By faith, Moses chose the people. Verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He could have had all the world offered him and live the rest of his life having that, but he chose not to do that. He chose to suffer affliction with God's people. Moses chose to identify himself with the people of God, which would involve affliction and reproach. That doesn't sound very wise, does it? Why did he do that? I'm glad you asked. Look in verse 26. It says, esteeming. The word esteeming means considering, believing that the reproach of Christ, the persecution would come of being serving the Lord, will bring greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. How many believe that what God offers you is more valuable than what the world offers you? If you believe that, then you'll be serving the Lord. He believed the rewards in heaven were greater than value than the treasures in Egypt. Why? Latter part of verse 26. For we had respect unto the recompense of the reward. The word respect means he turned his eyes away of everything Egypt offered him to what God offered him. He did it by faith. Moses never saw heaven. He never saw the riches God had from there. But by faith, he believed what God offered him was far more valuable than the world offered him. So he rejected the world and chose to serve the Lord. My friend, that's a wise man. Hope that you'll be, do the same thing. Do not turn that we read earlier. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding eternal weight and glory. Though his affliction on this earth was momentary, he believed that it would work for him a greater value rewards in heaven. Romans 8, 18, look at this on the screen. I love this. Paul said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which we shall be revealed in us. How many believe that? So if we suffer for serving the Lord, God said, that cannot be compared to what God has for you in heaven. So how do we live for eternity? Number one, by laying treasures in heaven by looking at the things which are eternal, by living by faith, and lastly, by laboring for that which lasts forever. 
by laboring for that which lasts forever. Look on the screen there. Please, a verse that Jesus was speaking. In John 6, 27, Jesus said, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life. The word endureth means continue not to perish to last. Jesus was saying that people should expend their time and efforts for that which lasts forever. Eternal rewards, not temporal. We do that two ways, by laboring for what is better. Are you still in Hebrews? Go to chapter 10, please. Chapter 10, we're just about done. Hebrews 10, 34. Here's an amazing statement of Christians who joyfully gave up material possessions because they believed what they had in heaven was better than what this world offered them. Hebrews 10, 34, page 1692 Chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 34. The writer of Hebrews, we do not know who certainly was, I believe it was the Apostle Paul, but whoever it was, he was in prison. He said, For ye had compassion on me in my what? In my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. Why? Knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better, and a, goes on to say, and enduring substance. Look over here, please. These Christians who cared for the one who wrote this book, who was in prison, and they gave up material possessions to take care of the needs of this man in prison. And they did so joyfully. They joyfully, says here, uh, took the spoiling of their goods because they knew that in heaven was far better. They knew that what they had in heaven was better, but also was more enduring. They say, you know, I could live for myself and keep what the world offers me. It's not as good as what God offers me and doesn't last as long. However, if I serve the Lord and live for him, what I get in heaven is far better than what the world offers me. And by the way, it lasts forever. To me, that's a no-brainer. Interesting, a certain car, I think it was a Kia, become very popular and become the best-selling cars in the world. And what made them so popular because they had a warranty of over 100,000 miles and, and lifetime warranty. Well, Ford and Chevrolet had a three-year warranty up to about like uh, uh, 30,000 miles. And I'm not saying key is better than Ford or Chevrolet, but because of a longer warranty, they sold more cars. Because the thought was, if I buy this car, it's going to last longer than this car. That's wise. What God is saying here, what he offers you in heaven lasts longer than what the world offers you. So which one are you going to live for, Christian? Which one are you going to seek after? I hope you that in heaven. So the believer, these believers were willing to sacrifice the temple for the eternal and did it joyfully because they believed the rewards in heaven was far better than the material things of this earth. You remember Jacob and Esau? Esau came from the woods hunting. He was tired. Hungry. He said, give me some of your pottage. And Jacob says, okay, trade it for, some, uh, trade it for your birthright. Now, to me, that would, that, that, that's stupid. But he said, okay, I'll do that. So he traded his birthright, that which belonged to him by virtue of his birth, for a mere bowl of pottage. And Christian, that's exactly what you and I do when we live for the things of the world and the neglect of Christ. All that you have by virtue of your birth of being a child of God and rewards in heaven, you sacrifice that for have the rewards of this earth 
How many say that's foolish? But how many Christians are doing that today? So let's close with this. Listen to me, brethren. When you live for the material things of this world, we trade the enduring for the fleeting. We swap the permanent for the temporary. We sacrifice that which lasts forever for that which is but for a moment. Jim Elliott was a missionary that was killed for his faith in Christ. He said, he is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that for which he cannot lose. How many believe that? What is it that you cannot lose? Rewards in heaven. And if you give up the things you cannot keep, the treasures of this earth, to gain treasure in heaven, Jim Elliott says, you're no fool. God says that too. But if you sacrifice the things of heaven to have the things of this earth, God calls you a fool. And I hope that you are wise and that you'll live for the things in, in heaven. So close with this. How do we live for eternity? Number one, by laying treasures up in heaven. By looking at things which are eternal. By living by faith and by laboring for that which lasts forever. But let me close with this. How do we live for eternity? How do I live forever? I'm glad you asked. Look on the screen and we'll close. You can turn, close your Bibles. How do we live forever? A very simple, clear verse in the Bible. John 6, 47. Jesus said this. He said, Verily, verily, send you, He that believeth on me hath what? Everlasting life. That word hath is an old English word which means possesses right now. That basically means this. As an individual... If you understand, according to the Bible, which we all are, we're sinners. And because we've sinned, we've earned the judgment of a holy God. The wages of our sin is death. And we can do nothing to save ourselves from that penalty. We cannot earn salvation. We cannot work our way to heaven. We cannot merit God's forgiveness. But the good news is God loved you so much, he sent his son to pay the penalty for you. Jesus Christ, one who knew no sin, came to this earth and became sin for you. And on the cross, my sin, your sin was laid upon him, and God punished him for what you've done wrong. He died for you, he was buried, and he rose again. And God says, I'll forgive you, I'll give you eternal life, and home in heaven free. It cost you nothing, because he paid the price. You don't have to work for it, because he finished the work. Our job, as Jesus said, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. That means if you would realize you cannot save yourself and trust in Christ to save you, that means to believe, trust in him as your Savior, he says, right now, you have everlasting life. Isn't that good news? Chances are most of you have done that. You have eternal life. It's not something you're going to get. Can I use this word? You have it. You have it right now. It's a present possession for all who believe. But if you have eternal life, are you living for the things of the world or the things of Christ? Who are you serving? Yourself and things that make you happy or the Lord and things that pleases him? I encourage you, I hope that you examine your life as we leave here today and find out how much time, focus, and energy are you given to serve the Lord, to reach people with the gospel of Christ the word of God, the things which last for eternity, I encourage you to do that. Let's bow together, please. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed this morning.
Today I've been talking to those that know Christ as Savior, talking about steadfastly living for eternity, that you're determined from this time forward to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because that is what counts for eternity. And I encourage you to do that. Determine. Look at your schedule. Look at your time, how you spend your money, what you do with your time off. Are you spending on yourself, things that make you happy, things of this world? Are you spending on the Lord, serving him and living for eternity? If you spend your time and effort and energy on the Lord, one day you'll be glad you did. Though it may not bring a whole lot of happiness here, though it is happy to serve the Lord, but you may suffer because of it, persecution, affliction, but that's going to work for you a far more exceeding eternal weight and glory. So I encourage you, Christian, to determine to serve the Lord. But as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, we conclude our service. Maybe here today or watching by live stream, and you have never trusted Christ to be your Savior. You're not certain heaven's your home. My friend, why not get that settled? Why not leave here claiming the promise that we saw from Scripture where Jesus said, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Why not believe on Christ as your Savior right now? Right where you sit, you can talk to him. And you can believe. That means you can place your dependence, your trust in Christ to be your Savior. And trust him to forgive you and give you a home in heaven. You say, Pastor, I'd like to do that. If you've never done that before, why not do it right now? Talk to God. And maybe say something like this. Dear God of heaven, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And because I've sinned, I've earned, I deserve your punishment. But God, I believe your son Jesus was punished in my place. I believe when Jesus died, he died for me. In my place, to pay for my sin was buried, and I believe he rose again. And right here today, realizing I cannot save myself, I'm trusting Christ to save me. I'm trusting him to forgive me and to give me eternal life. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, my friend, if you did that today, according to the promise of God, you have eternal life. God saves you the moment you do that. He that believeth in me hath, present tense, everlasting life. But I'd like to know if anyone did that today. I want to pray for those anyone who made that decision. My prayer for you does not save you, and the prayer you pray does not save you. It's Christ that saves you, based upon the faith you just placed in Christ by the means of that prayer. But if you trusted Christ as your Savior and will allow me to pray with you and rejoice with you, with no one look around, no one leave, would you simply raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning? Anyone at all? Pastor, here's my hand. I trusted Christ. Please pray for me this morning. Anyone at all? Dear Father in heaven, since no one raised their hand, I hope that means each one has already made that decision. If that's the case, heavens are home, they have eternal life. That will never change. But Father, I pray that you'd help us examine our lives, our time, our efforts, our money, everything we do, our energy, and see how much time we're giving to the Lord, how much time we're serving you and living for you. Help us to lay our treasures in heaven, not on this earth. Help us live for things that count for eternity, not the temporal things. Help us not to be like Esau and sell our birthright by a mere bowl of pottage. In Christ's name we pray, amen.